Hello and welcome to FX Talk, an eBrew podcast where we break down some of the main news headlines in the financial markets and give our take on what these developments might mean for the world of foreign exchange. My name is Matthew Ryan, Senior Market Analyst here at eBrew, and I'm delighted to be joined on the pod by two of my colleagues, our Chief Risk Officer, Enrique Diaz-Alvarez, and Market Analyst, Roman Zaruk. So this podcast is all about the foreign exchange market. We aim to take a look at some of the main news stories in FX, discuss them, and give our view on what they might mean for currencies going forward. So on this very first edition of the pod, Thursday the 4th of June, we will be discussing firstly today's European Central Bank announcement and its ramifications for the euro. We'll then discuss what's been behind the recent rebound in emerging market currencies, and then end with our spotlight currency for the week, which this week is the Australian dollar. But before all that, a quick summary of the key developments that we've seen in the markets in the past two weeks. Probably the main talking point in the FX market has been the general sense of optimism and this increase in risk appetite that we're witnessing among investors. With new daily cases of the, the virus easing, lockdowns beginning to be unwound and authorities pumping vast sums of stimulus into the markets, currency traders have reversed safe haven flows and instead favouring riskier currencies. It's been particularly the case of emerging market currencies, most of which have initiated sharp rebounds from their lows. The dollar has subsequently sold off and is now trading over 2% lower in trade-weighted terms in the past fortnight. This has allowed euro dollars to break out of its recent range, with a pair now trading around its highest level since early March. As for sterling, well, the pound has advanced to its strongest position since the start of May, helped by some rare positive news of a potential breakthrough in Brexit negotiations. So we now move on to our first main topic of the day, which, as I mentioned, is Thursday afternoon's European Central Bank meeting. And now for you, those guys who missed it, uh, the bank increased its pandemic emergency purchase program, its PPP as it's known, by another 600 billion euros, which takes a total envelope of the purchases up to a pretty eye-watering 1.35 trillion euros. Now, this is slightly greater than both us and, and the market is expected. And uh, for me, really, kind of really indicates that the ECB's complete lack of tolerance for increasing bond yields in, in the bloc, which of course is a particular issue for those European countries, particularly the peripheral countries such as Italy, that already suffer from very high levels of debt. Um, so, so what do you guys, I'll start with you, Enrique, what do you make of the announcement today? Well, I have a few comments. The first one is that uh, I'm surprised uh, that the Italian bonds and peripheral bonds in general haven't gone up even more, given this this demonstration of strength on the part of the ECB. Uh, The spreads are still, between Germany and Italy, are still very high, 170 basis points. They only came in about 20 basis points or so today. Which, which to me, uh, doesn't. This is this is a gap between market perception and reality. Even given this this aggressive uh, um, intervention by the ECB, this, I think that this this spread is going to collapse in the next few days. I would be surprised if it doesn't. And the second aspect of this decision that makes it interesting is that this PEPP uh, is the type of program that the German Constitutional Court directly challenged in its its controversial decision of a few weeks back. So this is this in, in addition to the financial impact of allowing all these countries to run whatever deficits they can in the short they need to in the short term, there's a political aspect to this which is uh, the, the, the the fact that the ECB does not, is not does not seem to be concerned and does not really care at all about 
what the German court thinks or says. In fact, uh, in response to one of the questions, uh, President Lagarde explicitly mentioned that they do not feel bound by any court other than the European Court of Justice, which is, I think, a, a political aspect of this decision that, that is quite important. Yeah, I generally think that, you know, by today's decision, they are showing that they learned by the, their past mistakes. So when we had the first meeting uh, in this pandemic period in March, uh, the ECB did not deliver as the market hoped. And uh, they uh, let, they punished the ECB by selling off uh, the euro and selling off the uh, Italian and all of the other peripheral, peripheral bonds, which actually uh, made the President Lagarde and also later the chief economist to comment and to uh, stress that they do not want any dislocation in the market. And I think that by today's meeting, they, they just uh, they showed just that, that they don't want any dislocation in the market, that they want the yields to be as slow as possible to, to enable the governments in the European Union, especially the periphery countries, uh, to spend as much as they want to boost their economies in this pandemic period. And generally, I would view this decision positively. I'm also quite surprised uh, that the yields did not react as much. But uh, overall, I think the market might have expected so somewhat a little bit more than we think, because generally, uh, everybody uh, thought that we are going to get at least a 500 billion euro increase in the program, we got 600 billion increase. This is a 100 billion euro difference. So this is not an extremely uh, generous program. This is a slight boost from, I think, what, what the market was expecting. So this might be one key in, uh, in addressing why the yields didn't, uh, didn't move as much. When, yeah. What do you guys make of, of the market reaction? I remember that the euro immediately rallied on the news, then it appeared to sell off I jumped the gun and said, what uh, you guys think that this automatic reaction where the more money that you that a central bank decides to print, the higher the currency goes, do you think maybe we, we have a turning point? And you guys got it right. You said this seems to be just a technical condition of the market and yeah, immediately went back up. So we're still in this situation where it's a bit paradoxical. The more aggressive central banks are, in reaction to the crisis, at least in G10 countries, it's not true of emerging markets, but in G10 countries, the more aggressive the central banks are, the higher the currency goes, which is a bit counterintuitive. What do you guys make of that? Yeah, and I, I, I don't think we've seen a reversal just yet. I think we'll see that that trend continue that you said for, for a little while yet. Um, the investors are really focusing more on the, the efforts that the central banks are, are having on stimulating the economy during the worst of the crisis more so than they are um, concerned about potential increases in the money supply. And I think that's why we, we, we're seeing that reaction in currencies uh, increasing in the last few weeks. Whenever they're increasing their uh, asset purchases or their stimulus measures, we're seeing a rally uh, in the domestic currency. Um, I think, yeah, I think all the focus at the moment is how are each relative economy is going to perform or how are they going to get out of this crisis? So which ones are going to get out of the crisis quicker? Um, are going to be the best performers, we think. So whichever ones are stimulated the most should be the ones that um, to exit the crisis slightly better, in, in my view, anyway. 
Yeah, so I generally agree with that. I think that we are seeing everywhere. And I would also add that in some emerging market countries, this is the same as in the G10 countries, that the markets are uh, viewing the central bank's decisions, which in normal circumstances would likely drive the currency down. Uh, they, they don't view those decisions as negative for the currency because we have this balancing effect that they read what the central bank is doing. It's uh, clearly facilitating what the governments are doing. And this basically enables, this, this gives a high higher probability, higher chance uh, that the economies will be able to rebound uh, faster and stronger uh, after this pandemic-induced crisis. And regarding the money supply, uh, there has always been a discussion whether the QE uh, leads to a uh, to, to inflation and whether uh, increasing money supply uh, should lead to a significant depreciation of a currency. But I would say that there is one thing that uh, people forget in this discussion, and this is the velocity of money. So it's how fast the money travels. It's also important not only how much money there you know, theoretically is in the system. And this is uh, one reason why the QE hasn't uh, produced really that significant inflation. And I think that this is one of the reasons why we haven't uh, seen a, a significant depreciation of currencies uh, e even in the past. Yeah, I mean, this is clearly people are, uh, incomes have not really dropped by much. In fact, in the US, they have gone up, up a lot. Uh, people are prevented from spending money because of the lockdown measures. So the result is that the demand for savings is increased. That's why all this all this additional money printing by the central banks is not only going to the real economy, is going to meet people's demands for additional um, additional savings. And that's why I think investors are doing that correctly. And that's why uh, they see this as an actual economic positive. This money printing is not going to be inflationary. It's just supplying the additional savings that people and companies feel like they need to have in response to the uh, crisis. Yeah, and especially that everybody right now, I think, expects a uh, deflation instead of inflation uh, because the the decrease in consumer spending is likely going to outweigh the decrease uh, in the supply of products. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree with that entirely. I think we're at an uncertain period at the moment that it, so many unemployed, particularly in the US, no one wants to spend money. I think we'll be in for a period of deflation for, for a little while. Um, yeah. yeah. Should we move on to our next topic? So the next topic, as I mentioned at the beginning, the introduction, I was the recent rebound that we're seeing in emerging market currencies. Now, of course, most of most EM currencies sold off pretty aggressively in, in March and April in particular. A lot of them fell to multi-year or even record loans in some cases. But we have begun to see a bit of a rebound if you look at the MSCI Emerging Market Currency Index. It's up around a little over 2% since the lows of March. But some of those worst performers, you look at the Mexican peso, for instance, within Rail, South Rand, rallied considerably more than that. Um, so, so what do you guys think about this recent rebound that we're seeing in emerging market currencies? Um, I think that it's, uh, it makes sense on two levels. First of all, because emerging market currencies have seriously lagged the rest of the risk assets. So we have the initial sell-off in, in equities and credit worldwide, then this aggressive response by both uh, states and central banks, and then the rebound in, in uh, equities and emerging market assets in general and currencies in particular have been, have been left behind. Uh, it is not clear to me that emerging markets are going to be affected worse than uh, G10 countries, at least in economic terms. Uh, in fact, the, the, the worst affected countries in terms of uh, of uh, deaths per million are all seem to be mostly uh, European and U.S. countries with uh, uh, 
emerging market countries behind. And second, that this, this, we've seen a, a really significant rebound on oil prices and commodity prices, which tend to be uh, positive for uh, emerging markets, which are disproportionately exposed to, that, to, the, uh, uh, to the commodities aspects of the economy. So I would generally agree with uh, with that, at least with the most of that. Uh, but uh, I would stress the fact that we have seen a very rapid appreciation. And for emerging market currencies, uh, such an instance is not really something that uh, they do. Usually we have an instance where they depreciate very fast and then slowly are moving up again. Uh, and this has not happened this time. Uh, to a certain extent, as Enrique, as you said, uh, this might uh, this might have to do with the fact uh, that uh, they were lagging the uh, equity market. Uh, but I, I would be quite cautious in such an environment. You know, when uh, the emerging market currencies, which have been flat for uh, practically uh, well a few months, were start appreciating by uh, even as much as a few percentage points per day, uh, this has me worried in some instances, especially. Actually, uh, because the market doesn't seem to be really uh, taking into account uh, the divergences between the countries. So we are seeing that investors are buying practically all of the risky uh, EM currencies right now, even in the countries where the pandemic is, you know, right now entering the peak phase, uh, such as the Latin American countries, even in the countries where they don't really have as much as a fiscal fire firepower to sustain the crisis and to, to be stronger afterwards. So I, I would just, uh, I, I, would I would be cautious whether we are not in a situation where it's kind of a guinea pig race uh, and the markets uh, have been a little bit ahead of themselves. Actually, I think that uh, we yesterday experienced something like this, looking at the emerging markets in the in, in the European countries. For instance, Polish Zloty and Czech Corona, they have depreciated uh, rather violently, at least the Polish Zloty. And this has come on the back of a around 10-day appreciation. And I would say that this is an example that, you know, this might have gone a little bit too far, at least for some currencies. And the Polish Zloty is one, with one of the best fundamentals. However, I would be cautious at this point because the appreciation of the EM currencies should not be as aggressive as we have witnessed it uh, recently. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. I think in terms of looking forward, we're still relatively optimistic over emerging market currency in general, but of course, their performance is likely to remain relatively idiosyncratic. I think one of the key risk factors, of course, that we're seeing at the moment for emerging markets is the ability of countries to contain the spread of the virus. So you're looking at countries like India and Brazil in particular that are easing uh, lockdown measures right at a time when uh, the new daily cases of virus are still very much on that high growth trend and still increasing day by day. Um, so while we're still relatively optimistic that most will continue to bounce back, I think the ability to contain the spread of the virus and the ability of economies to bounce back uh, once the worst of the virus is over but does present um, a, a very significant downside risk to a lot of these currencies. I think it's now time to move on to our spotlight currency of the week, which this week is the Australian dollar. Our currency is borne the brunt of the sell-off in high-risk assets during the height of the pandemic. So that, of course, has roared back pretty sharply in the last few weeks and has been one of the best-performing major currencies since sort of mid-March time. It was rallied, rallied by almost 20% during that time. I think the first thing we have to talk about when we talk about the Australian dollar is quite a remarkable evaporation in, in new daily cases of the virus, coronavirus, that we're seeing in Australia, which have actually been in single figures or all, all the teens throughout much of the past 
six weeks or so. And I think this evaporation in new cases and unprecedented levels of stimulus we've seen from the Reserve Bank of Australia, which announced the QE program, launched a QE program for the first time in its history um, during the height of the pandemic in March, has certainly helped uh, the, the currency reverse much of its losses. So what do you guys think of this recent rebound in the Aussie dollar? Uh, personally, I look at uh, like a simple regression with the, the worldwide index of risk tolerance, which I, I think is the uh, US, the S&P 500 index fund of American equities. And the Australian dollar is almost exactly what it should be. Like, so I'm not sure that uh, investors in this particular case are really making fine distinctions between how good the response of this or that G10 country has been. Uh, I think all assets that are considered risky, and the Australian dollar is obviously one of them, are moving in sort of in tandem with almost perfect correlation. And that, that I think, explains the rally more than any specific uh, uh, positive news out, out of uh, Australia. But uh, that I'm not entirely sure. But uh, that's it's uh, the correlation is perfect. It's moving like one to one with the uh, the other risk assets in the world. Yeah, I would generally think that you know at least a part of the answer why the Aussie dollar is performing uh, as well as it is is uh, the fact that the economy is quite closely linked to China. Uh, and uh, considering that the Chinese economic numbers that we have received recently, and right now I'm, I'm talking about the, the PMI numbers, which for the month of May, all of them, both the official numbers as well as the uh, Kaixin numbers uh, from market, they have increased above the level 50, denoting expansion. This could suggest that uh, there is some, uh, there is a, a notable improvement in the Chinese economy, which could then going further translate to a improvement in Australia. And I generally think that the China and Australia and similar countries are a month or a few months uh, in front of all of the other countries in the European Union and the country and the United States uh, in terms of the pandemic and the economic situation because of that. And I think that this is also one of the key factors why the Aussie dollar has performed as well as it did and why the appreciation of the Aussie dollar started much sooner than uh, most of the other risky assets and has been, uh, well, sharper, at least in this uh, first uh, period. Yeah, and I, I, that's a good point about the links to China. I think that's uh, another reason why we've seen a bit of strength in the Aussie dollar, both its um, export links. The fact that China, as you said, China is recovering quicker than everywhere else in the world. And the fact that also the you know, Australian economy should be up and running, we think, quicker than most of its major peers, particularly look at the US. The fact that the cases there are slowed, but at a much slower rate than we're seeing in countries such as Australia and New Zealand, it should be out of the, out of the worst uh, and back up and running, we think, to some, some semblance of full capacity much quicker than where we're seeing elsewhere should help support the Aussie dollar. And that just about does it from us. We're keen to hear more about our thoughts on the currency markets. Visit Ebury's website or follow us on social media. And don't forget to let us know if there are any topics you would like to hear more on during upcoming pods. Keep an eye out for our next episode in a couple of weeks' time. Thank you all very much for listening.